After the atoll? When I offered myself to you? Why didn't you take me? Because you didn't really want me. Not really. Let's go film the sex scene. to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 123 and 124, which begin with Helen bringing up that scene with her body double and end with Helen talking about Dryland. At the top of today's clip, Helen re-asks her question from last week, wanting to see if they are going to die by saying, aren't we? She never really gets an answer to that, right? Oh, no. I mean, she knows the answer the whole time. That's not the kind of question you ask because you think the answer might be no. (laughs) You ask because you know the answer is yes and you want to talk about it. You don't necessarily start asking that question like, hey, you think we're going to die? Think we're going to die? Right. Hey, like, think we're going to die? She wants to have a conversation about... Yes, they're going to die. Is there anything we can do about it? How long are we going to survive? What can we do to make that longer? Is there any hope? She wants to have a conversation, which is why she's asking. And he doesn't because that's not the mirror. He's not a conversational sort. I mentioned before we hit record on this episode that this two minutes and next week's two minutes are very jumbled up in the book, especially so in the theatrical edit because. The minutes from next week really don't exist that much in the theatrical cut. Anyway, I want to dive into the book because they actually have a conversation after this point. I think people may remember back in episode 60, as soon as Helen and the Mariner got on the boat, she wanted him to go below deck and see if Enola had been killed and left behind. And so this is where we pick up. He came up from below, shaking his head no. They either took her, he said, or dumped her overboard. He had something in his hand, the bottle the drifter had traded him for half an hour of Helen's favors. The ancient yellowed pages were still within. They missed this, he said, crouching down beside her. Maybe we can barter it for some hydro. With who? That seagull? We're lucky they left anything behind. Lucky? Her laugh was harsh and damn near hysterical. Lucky. Wait, 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 wait. That seagull? Right, there should not be a seagull anywhere Seagulls, nearby. yes, are ocean birds, but they hang out near land. So if there is legit a seagull, then that means they're near dry land. Uh, and they shouldn't know what seagulls are. It's a huge freaking deal. That's for sure. Reminds me of a Simpsons episode where I think it's Flanders and Homer are lost at sea and they're on some sort of raft or whatnot. And... They see a seagull, and they're like, oh, cool. Seagulls always stay near land. They only go out to sea to die. Ah! And then the seagull drops dead, and they're like, oh, crap. (laughs) That wasn't the boon we thought it was. In the book, they go through, and there's a sort of exchange of histories and sharing that happens. But I want to specifically mention here that in the midst of this conversation— we get to hear the Mariner's backstory. And I've been teasing this for so long. 
All right. Because on page 222, if people at home want to follow along. (laughs) He crouched beside her. His expression was both distant and intimate. I was born on an atoll, he told her quietly. It was a whisper, really. That almost got lost in the whisper of the wind. People wanted to kill me. I was a freak. She touched his arm. He lowered his gaze. My mother taught me to read, but she died young. Some, when they've been beaten down, get stronger. He was talking about himself, she knew. Others, gentle ones like her, just break into pieces. What about your father? He smiled. She had never seen a smile smaller or more bitter. My father kept me alive out of the kindness of his heart, he said. Used me to dive after fish. Kept me on a lead line. What? He knew if he didn't, I'd never come back. So I stole his boat after I killed him. The wind seemed suddenly colder. I've been on one boat or another, he said, ever since. She stroked his face, moving the hair from his eyes. How old were you? That child's age, he said, maybe a little older. Anola knew what it was like to be different, she said. I think that's why she liked you. He said nothing. Okay. Like you said before, you have kind of been teasing that information. So I knew that the mariner killed his father and stole his boat. In my head, I always imagined that that's where he got the trimaran. But then he says, I've been on one boat or another ever since. So he did not take the trimaran from his father. He acquired the trimaran on his own, which I appreciate. I want him to be a self-made man. I'm a little bummed out that in either version of the movie, we don't get this backstory from the Mariner because despite him not technically being human, it is very humanizing to know that he's had a life that was built on a tiny glimmer of kindness, but a majority of cruelty from humans. Specifically, a human that was supposed to protect him. Yeah, I think having that scene directly in front of the next scene that we get would have been nice. So the sex scene, it feels out of place because there is a lack of connection between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So putting in a conversation about his backstory restores that they have had in the past in the movie. It's just been a little while and a lot has happened since then. So the sex scene. Helen says, after the atoll, when I offered myself to you, why didn't you take me? And the Mariner explains it's because from his perspective, she didn't really want him. That was plain to see when we originally interpreted the scene. Absolutely. Now that we know a little bit more about the Mariner, especially from the book, He's never been wanted, not by anybody except his own mother. So seeing another person in this world standing in front of him not wanting him I was probably really painful. It's just another experience in a long line of crap experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I want to dive back into the book for this because when Helen kisses the Mariner in the movie, he backs away a little bit, but then kisses her back. There's a bit more in the book. She brushed his hair back again gently. After we escaped from the atoll, when I offered myself to you, why didn't you take me when you could? Because you didn't want me. She leaned forward and very tenderly kissed him on the mouth. He backed away as if burned. No, no, she said gently, very gently. It's okay. What we did before, we started wrong. I started wrong. Let's try again. I want to try again. She gave him another kiss, but he didn't respond, didn't kiss her back. His face was a stony mask, but there was something else there, something in his eyes. Was he frightened? Have you ever been with a woman? He looked away. You've never been with a woman, have you? She asked. 
His shrug was a non-response. It's been a long time since I've been with a man, she admitted. Maybe I've forgotten how. She moved closer to him, guided his arms around her. He seemed very young, suddenly a child. You were kind to teach Enola to swim, she said. Let's teach each other now. Sunset was turning the sea crimson and gold. It was as if the ocean had caught fire and the trimaran, still trailing tendrils of smoke, was like a stray ember. There they lay together, teaching each other, loving each other, rekindling hope in each other's arms. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, it's way better than what happens in the movie. Right. Because what happens in the movie is so just bleh and nothing. There's no chemistry. It is the crappiest kissing I have ever seen. Neither of them look like they're having a good time or want to be there. In the movie, there's no point to this. Right. They are not making a connection. They are not taking comfort in each other's arms. It's just weird. And no chemistry whatsoever. Now, the book. I am a huge fan, as our listeners will know, of good communication skills, which they do in the book. She senses hesitancy and she talks him through it. And yeah, he doesn't really communicate back with her, but he is very much a body language type of guy. So mm -hmm. she is reading his body language and reacting to it. And then they just have to go make a turn right on to Cheesy Lane. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it just kind of ends a little goofy, but it's still a much better love scene than the movie was. You get the sense in the book that Helen is thinking, you know what? Things could not get much worse. It's been a while. Might as well shoot my shot and see what happens. And the revelation that the Mariner has never experienced physical intimacy with another person, A, makes a lot of sense, and B, I think informs a lot about his character, that he has never opened himself up into any sort of physical or emotional intimacy with anybody. Right. And now that we know that, of course he hasn't. Everything that we've learned about the Mariner up to this point points in that direction. Who would he have had sex with previous? Everybody thinks he's a freak. Everybody wants to kill him. So <laughs> who else is there? Mm -hmm. And he is so closed off. What I like about the screenplay is we get a lot of inner monologue and his thoughts about people. And he does not like them. He doesn't like them in his space, interfering with his routine and his way of doing things. He doesn't like them. So when would he have had an opportunity? It also reveals why the Mariner was so apprehensive to entertain any sort of idea of being with the Atoll girl. She very clearly was being offered up as a, not sacrifice, but it's not a terrible description either. Right. And so he didn't want to, A, engage in any not truly consensual contact. But at the same time, he was probably pretty sure that he was going to embarrass himself if he got forced into that situation. Because he wouldn't know what to do. I like that Helen said, oh, you've never been with a woman. Well, it's been an awfully long time since I've been with a man. It puts them more on even footing. It was very kind of her to say it that way. Yes. <laughs> 
and to say, hey, you know what? Neither of us really know what we're doing, but that's not what this is about. This is not about having great sex. This is about finding comfort in each other when, especially from Helen's point of view, they are going to die. So let's be together. There's a lot of comfort in physical intimacy. They're not in love with each other. No. There's no love there. There's no commitment there. This is comfort. And they have had a lot of high-energy circumstances between them, escaping the atoll attack by the smokers, diving deep underwater, and doing that, what did they call oh. them, rescue kisses? Yeah, I think so. Something horrible. <laughs> Helen has likely found an attraction to the Mariner physically. Definitely not emotionally or personality-wise. He is, and likely always will be, a grouch. While a grouch is not necessarily someone that you settle down with, if he's got a good body, I can see the appeal that Helen would have. And he does have a very good physique because all of the things that he does are very physical. Yeah. And they survive on a starvation diet exactly. all the time. Everybody. <laughs> he, he's got that very vascular look that you get when you're dehydrated. So he's right. nice and washboardy. <laughs> Not as washboardy as some other actors, I'm sure, because it is still Kevin Costner, but I digress. Right. So this scene is poorly done in the movie, I think, partly because the actors <laughs> have no chemistry whatsoever. I think the purpose could have been served without them having sex. If they just had a moment where they were physical with each other without going all the way, whether it was just touching like her hand on his knee or something like that and then like he put his hand over hers and they just contemplated things for a moment it would have served the same purpose as what was presented to us in the movie so would you prefer the sex removed from this movie yes in all of the time that we've watched mad max movies max has only ever been intimate with jesse yes. every other mad max movie after that no love scenes right even Fury Road, where you had the romance, quote unquote, between Nux and Capable, the most they did was cuddle. Exactly. They took physical comfort in each other in a way that wasn't sex. And that's exactly what we could have used here. I do not have a problem with the sex scene in this movie because I think it is a way to show the difference between Helen and the Mariner because Helen is human. She has human appetites. You don't think the Mariner has human appetites? No, I think the Mariner is apprehensive to engage in this physical activity because he has this strangely feminist view on consent where <laughs> consent has to be enthusiastic and that's something that he recognizes, which that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, consent, you just don't usually see that in movies, yeah. especially from the 90s. Consent should be enthusiastic and continuous. As soon as it stops being enthusiastic, it can stop. One of the things talking about sexual intercourse is that if one or both of the partners decide partway through the sex that it needs to end, consent has been withdrawn and the contact should end. Right. If one person keeps going, even though the other person says stop, no matter how far they into it, that's a problem. So it is nice to see the Mariner having that viewpoint. But at the same time, I think the Mariner is probably, 
if anything, if we had to categorize him, he's probably just asexual. He's not interested in the sexual act. I agree. I think if he were to classify himself, it might be as asexual. Yeah. I have no particular objection to a sex scene being in this movie. I have an objection to this poorly done sex scene. So your problem is the execution. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think if you've cast your characters and you're ready to go and you rehearse the sex scene and you're like, crap, they have no chemistry. (laughs) Like, seriously, their faces were like bumping up against each other. I mean, it's like it was described in the book. His face was like a stone. It was so bad. Then they should have gone like, okay, okay, how can we make this work? (laughs) And they did not do that. It did not work. But the presence of a sex scene is fine. I just wish it were done better. I would have preferred that when they were filming this, if they kept the Mariner on the bottom of the equation. Because as we pull out from the shot, we saw that the Mariner put his arm around her and lowered her down to the boat in a sort of very vanilla missionary situation where she's on bottom, he's on top. They are engaging in this intercourse. Right, but he doesn't know what he's doing. I would have preferred if she had... Taken charge. Encouraged him to lay down, and then she could do her thing. Right. Like, hey, we're both unsure of what's happening here, but we're both consenting, but I do have more experience than you, so I'm going to guide how things go. I do like that... We're readdressing the Mariner's sexuality because we kind of joked back in the atoll, oh, well, you can't just offer him a woman because what if he's gay? And that was a very fleeting comment we made. Yeah. But now here we are later in the movie. I think if there are people out there thinking, oh, man, where are my asexual main characters in movies? Boom, here's one. The Mariner, his life, his love, and his lady is the sea. He is not (laughs) interested in having relationships that are physical. Yep. He wants relationships that are between him and a boat. <laughs> Absolutely. You could joke that he's boat sexual, but he doesn't want to sleep with his boat. He just wants to be with his boat. Right. He just wants to be alone with his boat. Right. But I think he's participating in this with Helen anyways, even though, like you, I think he's asexual. I don't know, because she wants to. I want to say it was Game of Thrones that Jon Snow was always very apprehensive about intercourse because he didn't want to sire a bastard because he himself had experienced life as a bastard. Yep. I have to wonder if there is not an ingrown fear with the Mariner that if he were to engage in those physical contacts, that there's a possibility that he would sire offspring that would be similarly mutated to him and therefore subject to the same sort of ridicule and persecution that he has experienced in his life. Ah, so he's a Duke of Hastings. Ending his bloodline to spite his father? Yes. Isn't it funny that we have two characters from two different shows who have the same hesitancy, but Jon Snow is seen as noble for it, while the Duke of Hastings is reviled for well, it? The Duke of Hastings in Bridgerton is refusing to have offspring out of pure spite. Right. There's no good reason for it. At least no. with Jon Snow, he has seen firsthand the life that awaits someone born into that station. He doesn't necessarily want to bring someone into the world just so that they can be looked down on and spat on and shipped off to the wall to live their life 
in cold squalor defending on a wall that honestly by the end of the story of game of thrones the tv show they're all dead anyways like what good is the wall anyway right it's shattered anyway (laughs) (laughs) so the mariner is more of a Jon snow yeah more of a noble reason i had it really hard and i don't want to do that to another living being yeah it kind of reminds me about every time the news talks about oh the birth rate has slowed way down and it's like yeah you've got an entire generation the millennials are seeing how things are and it's like why would they want to subject someone to what they're going through and it's yeah it kind of sucks i don't know maybe we should go back to high tax rates for the top one percent i don't know we don't like to do politics on this show but you know (laughs) tax the rich anyway we fade out from this sex scene we leave them behind for a while and we fade into the wreckage of the trimaran floating on the sunrise and as helen is sleeping in the background the mariner surfaces from the flooded hull of the ship i want to put a bookmark here because we are going to cut back to this in episode 66 there is a scene with the mariner climbing around in the guts of the trimaran and he finds one of enola's drawing and he compares it to a magazine in the theatrical cut that scene happens now and in the extended cut that we're watching it happens later so i'm putting a bookmark here for everybody so that when we talk about it in a later episode this is where your theatrical folks are going to remember it from but as we come back from the sex scene we find that helen is reclining with her head on a flotation device or maybe it's just leaning up against a burnt bit of hull but she seems to be off by herself while the mariner is doing other things It felt a little tropey about sleeping after sex. Yeah, it always seems like one or both people sleep after sex, Mm. and that's how they transition to the next scene. And it was also tropey that she was sleeping while he was being productive. Puttering around. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect that the reason that they shifted the conversation that we see a little snippet of it this week, we see most of it next week, but I'm pretty sure that they put the sex scene where they did so that way they could have Helen waking up like this instead of cutting back to them and having her lying down. That's true, because the conversation they're going to have gets started by Helen dreaming. Mm -hmm. So we have to have a situation where Helen is asleep. And there's no other justification for Helen to be asleep than for her being post-coital. Never mind that they're under the hot sun, they've been through a lot, and sleep sucks anyways. So what do you think of Helen talking about how she always thought that dry land floated around like an atoll and drifted on the wind? I think that makes so much sense. All she knows is atolls and small boats. She doesn't know what land is. In our society, way back before we knew about the planet, we thought the continents floated as well. That was one of the things that started us down the maps, geography, science road as we thought that they were all floating around. So that makes absolute sense. It also helps to explain why they've never found it before. It's like that commercial with the fisherman and he's got a dollar on the end of a fishing line and he's dangling it just out of reach of the one lady in the store. I'm pretty sure it's a Geico commercial or something like that. He's like, oh, you just, just got it. Like as if 
dry land is always just over the horizon because you and it are moving at the same rate. And so it's always just out of reach. Yeah. If that were true of imagining what would have to happen for that to be able to be true. And my biggest concern is Enola's tattoo. If her tattoo is a map to dry land and dry land floats around the planet, then it's really hard to have a map to a moving place. <laughs> but it could be a map of the ocean currents yeah, and showing you which current dry land is on. So here is the path that it follows and maybe a schedule to help you locate it. Feels very Brigadoon-esque. Right. You just got to be at the right place at the right time. It's very easy for us who live in the real world to go to the shoreline and see how the land extends out under the water. And so it's easy to see firsthand that the earth exists everywhere and the water sits on top of the earth. In Waterworld, you've got the boats and below the boats is the water and the water is the baseline. Yeah. There's a reason Helen was so surprised when she went down to the bottom of the ocean and saw all of the ground that was there because for all they know, it's nothing but endless ocean from one side of the globe to the other. Yeah, it's so strange to think that they don't even really know about the planet as a whole. They don't have a sense of the size of the planet or really even navigating it or what's on the inside, what's at the bottom of the water, like none of that. They know none of that, which boggles my mind. It's interesting to think about an entire globe made up of liquid water because one of the things about space is that it's very cold. If you don't have an atmosphere around your planet, it's very cold unless you're in the sun and then it's very hot because you're receiving direct heat from the sun. And so it would be incredibly ridiculous to think that you could have a gigantic sphere of pure water with no core, just water drifting through space with an atmosphere somehow. That makes me think about the gas giants, where I've often had this question and I've never really been able to learn the answer. Like, what is in the middle of the gas giants? Do they have a core? I do not know this. But it's basically the same thing, where it's just gas that has coalesced enough to have a gravitational pull to pull it into a globe. So I think it's theoretically possible, <laughs> but water is not that common. None of the bodies in our solar system even have water. They have ice, but of different kinds of liquids. Mm -hmm. And they have liquids of different kinds of elements. And so I think the biggest stretch there is having enough water to have enough gravity to form itself into a ball. But I think if you did, it would. That's something that you'd want to fire off to one of those science people on Twitter. Yeah. You're Niels deGrasse Tyson and Bill's Nye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put a pin in things for now. We're going to see a lot more conversating next week that we can dive into. So come back. We'll see Helen feel hopeless. The Mariner will give her a bit of a pep speech so she doesn't give up. And Gregor will arrive in his flying machine. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. 
Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 62. We'll see you next time.